Hello, and welcome to Mindful You at Naropa, a podcast presented by Naropa University in Boulder, Colorado. I'm your host, David Devine, and it's a pleasure to welcome you. Joining the best of Eastern and Western educational traditions, Naropa is the birthplace of the modern mindfulness movement. Hello, today I'd like to welcome a very special guest to the podcast, Mickey Fire. Mickey is an assistant professor and serves as a chair in the Transpersonal Wilderness Therapy Program. How are you doing today? I'm good. So tell me a little bit about yourself. Like, where did you go to school? How did you find yourself to Naropa? What was that journey like for you? Well, I'm trying to figure out how far back to go. (laughs) Okay. Because it feels like what brought me to Naropa and what brought me to wilderness therapy Uh is itself like a long journey. Okay. But in summary, I would say different streams of experience ultimately brought me here. The first was really a connection and what then became professional work in the outdoor industry and in the world of experiential education, both as a professional wilderness guide and then eventually weaving that into working experientially with Mm -hmm. folks nationally and also internationally. And at some point for different reasons, actually going back to school and becoming a clinical psychologist and getting my training in that realm. And on some level, always knowing that there was a desire to bring these two parts together. For me, in a lot of ways, the wilderness piece was really very, very personal. Okay, It's where I always found my place of transformation and growth. So I've always known that that was something I wanted to, you know, in some way integrate into my work. And so I went to school at the California Institute of Integral Studies. That's where I got my doctorate. That's CIIS, right? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, in the Bay Area. And yeah, it was just a series of circumstances that eventually brought me to basically a faculty opening Mm. in the wilderness therapy program. And having had the privilege of all my experiences were just, you know, a good fit. I wasn't actually practicing as a wilderness therapist. I was practicing as a psychologist, but who had had about 15 years of work prior in the outdoor industry, in the outdoor field. So you were just doing the outdoor industry as fun, wilderness. It wasn't an actual career trajectory for you? It was a career trajectory for me for over a decade. And interestingly enough, I always found that that, for me, the way in which I was working is where I saw the most profound transformation in myself and in people. So when I actually went back to school to become in clinical psychology, I was actually a little bit skeptical about whether or not this thing that we call therapy and my idea of what it was, Uh which is this thing we do in an office for a limited period of time, once a week, (laughs) I was very skeptical that that actually had transformative potential. Where did that come from? The skepticism? Yeah. I'm curious about that. I think the skepticism came, first of all, because... I had actually never been in therapy myself, that kind of therapy. 
Okay. So I had not gotten to see on a very personal level what happens yeah. in those kinds of spaces. But what I had gotten to see from a pretty young age, and mm. really I think about it, really around 15 years old is where I really began seeing this for me personally, okay. is that something very profound would mm. happen for me in connection to the outdoor world. Okay. And because of the professional sort of path that I followed, which was eventually to be working with folks outside, to mm -hmm. be working with folks in very kind of dynamic environments, mm -hmm. working with folks not for 50 minutes at a time, but actually 13 weeks at a time. Yeah. You know, in my sort of naive place, mm -hmm. you know, my, my more sort of narcissistic <laughs> you know, way, all I had known is what I had known. Yeah. I just couldn't imagine that that level of transformation could be possible without those surroundings, that container. Okay. Before you started doing the clinical psychology direction, were you working in therapy as wilderness therapy already? So it wasn't just like you were a rock climber teaching people how to rock climb. You were actually working in wilderness therapy and then became a clinical psychologist. So I did a little bit of both. Okay. I did work for some time just <laughs> purely in the outdoors. Okay. Backpacking, rock climbing, yeah. all those kinds of things yeah. for people who just were on the surface coming because they just wanted an outdoor experience. Mm -hmm. I also did work for almost two years as a field instructor mm -hmm. in a therapeutic wilderness program. Yeah. I also ran study abroad programs in the Himalayas for okay. four years. What? And we did <laughs> a lot awesome. of wilderness pieces, a lot uh -huh. of physical pieces. We did a lot of, you know, really educational and immersive kind of cultural okay. pieces. That's unique direction. Uh-huh. I like it. Yeah. And it seems cool too because you're following a passion and then from while following your passion, then you discover these really deep, meaningful things that you like and then you're like, oh, look at that. I'm going to go this direction now. Yeah. It's really cool. So tell me, what was the first inspiration you had that made you link those two together? What kind of made you inspired to follow like a wilderness industry direction? And then what also inspired you to follow a clinical psychologist direction? Well, in connection to something you just said, David, about, I think, following, I don't remember the words you used, but... Following your passion. I think there's a way in which there's always been something deeper and bigger operating, mm. I would say. Okay. And I've been very, very privileged in my life mm -hmm. because of the places I've lived, the family I was born into, the okay. circumstances I was born into to be very well supported, actually, nice. to always be listening to, mm. to that part, to that deeper inner knowing. Mm -hmm. So that even I remember when I graduated from college and I had friends who were immediately applying to go to graduate school or, you know, there was sort of this path that felt like maybe that's what you were supposed to do. I remember mm -hmm. having a conversation with my mom on the phone, mm -hmm. feeling conflicted about what to do. And she said, you know, why don't you think about the thing that scares you most? <laughs> and that's what you do. Ah. And I feel really, wow. I feel really lucky okay. right, that I had, that that's part of what I grew up with. So I guess in answer to mm. your question, the piece that took me on the path, the professional path of working in the outdoors came from some way that, like I said, starting when I was a teenager, I began to feel a very profound connection mm -hmm. to the unseen world, 
to the outdoor world yeah. and there was just a conviction, a pretty arrogant one actually when I think about it when I was graduating from college that mm-hmm. I was going to get a job working outside and someone would pay me. Yeah. I just wanted to be outside. Awesome. And I just knew that. And I followed that path until it felt clear that something else wanted to happen. I knew I mm. wanted to go back to the Himalayas where I had spent some time as a college student and you know, just those serendipitous things kind yeah. of show up and I followed them and I was lucky enough to to land in some really neat places. And at some point that plateaued and decided to go back to grad school in a completely different field. Mm-hmm. And as I was applying for that yeah. direction, which uh-huh. was not clinical psychology, <laughs> I started getting feedback, thank goodness, from people that said, wow, we're surprised you're not going in this other direction. Now, I should mention I always had a lot of resistance to going to school for clinical psych. Okay. Um, it was the one thing I was not going to do because <laughs> it's what my mom did. <laughs> so, you know, that kind of classic. But you did, though. Well, exactly. <laughs> so it took me a while to get there. Okay. But I also want to say when I was mm. 18 years old, I remember being junior or senior in high school. I think it was 1994, maybe. Mm-hmm. I picked up a book at the Boulder Bookstore, uh-huh. actually. And it had just come out, and it was called Eco-Psychology. It's a very well-known book now. And I opened that book. For some reason, I was drawn to it. I bought it. Mm -hmm. And I do remember reading those chapters in that book and having this thought, which was, wow, this is what I want to do. Okay, so you mentioned something about following what you're scared of most. What was that? Was it being a clinical psychologist because your mom was? Because your mom said, follow the thing you're scared of. Yeah, I don't think I would have known that at the time, (laughs) not at all. Okay. I think at the time that felt like it helped support the part of me that wasn't listening to maybe all of the more dominant voices saying, you know, this is what you should do. You should, Mm -hmm. this is the right thing to do. You should think about, you know, be responsible. Think about how you might make money. Think about your education. I mean, I think at the time it's what I needed to support the part of me that yeah, that that conviction of, you know, I, mm. I want to be outside and I'm not sure why and maybe I can make that work. Yeah, and I feel like there's this feeling of just because you're afraid of something doesn't mean you should stay away from it. You actually want to pursue something, but you're afraid of doing this, applying for that or asserting yourself into this. And by hearing your mom say, don't be afraid of that, you can step into it and just be like, well, I ultimately want the thing that it's going to create, but I'm scared to do the steps along the way. Right. Yeah, Yeah, I think the message was something like don't, actually it was something (laughs) like don't let your fear be the thing that holds you back from doing what you really want to do. That's awesome. Right. All right. I think it was less about like go and get scared. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Run towards being scared. Right. No. Okay. I think respect fear. Yeah. So at Naropa, you are the chair of the Transpersonal Wilderness Therapy. So I was actually curious, when was like, the relationship of wilderness and therapy adopted together? When did therapy decide that the wilderness was going to be a form of healing for that sort of field? It's a really good question. They're like, hey, you know what? Let's stop talking in a room and let's go outside and play in some trees or let's go see what the earth is saying to us and yeah. like look at the rivers and lakes and take a hike. And 
I mean, I'm pausing because I think yeah. the response to the question can go in a few different directions. I mean, you're yeah. talking on some level about a kind of perennial wisdom that we could ask, right, in so many fields today. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, when did this field decide this was a good idea? And a part of me wants to say, when did it forget that yeah. it was a part of healing? When did it forget like that. our interconnected nature? So yeah. the the remembering, mm. right? The sort of, oh, let's do this feels a little... It's almost like, let's get back to it. Yeah, like, wow, this has been here all along. And mm -hmm. I should say as a side note, and maybe we can get there, that this idea of, of nature as being healing, I think is complex. Just the assumption of, okay. oh, nature is therapeutic and let's bring it in is, I think, complex. Mm. And I just want to come back to that oh we will <laughs> i okay. want to know about okay. that but in a way there's so many different ways that therapy has incorporated elements of the natural world and vice versa yeah it's hard to answer because there's so many different ways that wilderness therapy can look i think it's one of the things mm. i really love about our program is Many of our students and folks who look at our program have usually just one idea. If they've heard of wilderness therapy, what they know about is they often know about programs that mm -hmm. work primarily with adolescents who have almost always not by their choice been taken mm -hmm. into an outdoor environment for 8 to 13 weeks mm -hmm. to do you know these very intensive programs that are mm -hmm. often fairly behavior modification oriented and et cetera, et cetera. And yeah. these programs have been around for some time. They have their own lineage and history that is quite specific and even root back to, you know, and there's a couple books that have been written actually that look specifically at the history of those yeah. programs. Huh. But okay. that to me is only one way that wilderness therapy looks. Yeah. What I love about our program actually is I think part of what we really try to do is to expand our idea and our understanding and therefore our clinical capacity to go way beyond just one model of wilderness therapy is mm -hmm. so that we may be talking about really what you said, taking somebody out just to a riverbed. Yeah. And in fact, in that space, doing something that may not even be so different from what we might do inside, but that just by virtue of being at the riverbed, something different might become available or might be experienced. We may be mm. bringing nature elements into the office, yep. working with plants, mm -hmm. right? working with objects. Yep. We may be working with activities. Right? You mentioned rock climbing or mm -hmm. rafting or- Ropes course. Ropes or, course. Yeah. And each one of these things, I think, holds different possibilities and different intentions. So yeah. just even the question of where did this begin? Where did this all start? It almost feels like it came through different <laughs> threads, yeah, right? Because that notion of us as human, that our species is part of interconnected one of yeah. all the many mm -hmm. on this planet, well, that preceded us yeah. big time. Okay. And so again, back to where we started, mm -hmm. it's more like, when did we forget? I love it, yes. And so when did we, I mean, I say we, like the mm -hmm. species, you know, when was there a, a conscious remembering that actually we never were separate? Yeah. 
right? To me, on one of the deepest levels for myself in my own wilderness therapy practice, Mm -hmm. which I encourage my students to do, the same way we go to therapy as we become trained to be therapists. Mm -hmm. I think as wilderness therapists, I always encourage like, what's the wilderness therapy you're doing? Mm -hmm. Which isn't just, Mm -hmm. I go out for a hike to blow off steam or something, which in and of itself might be good, but what's the deeper work you're doing? For me, it's- Creating a relationship with the wilderness to enhance the therapeutic applications that you're receiving. Exactly, and to me, it's a lot about on that much more subtle level, being able to understand something much deeper about my inner landscape in relationship and reference to outer landscape. Okay. And so that, like mm-hmm. when I think about just my own personal experience mm-hmm. of, well, what is my wilderness therapy that I engage in? Mm. When did that begin? Yeah. Right. Interesting. Is, okay. But if we want to talk about adventure therapy and when did we start seeing organizations actually incorporating therapeutic programs into their already existing adventure-based models or the wilderness therapy programs I just mentioned, for example. You know, those, I think we can look back to the Boy Scouts. We can look back to Hmm. the things that were already happening in the 60s and 70s or ways then that in the transpersonal movement, humanistic movement, Mm -hmm. eco-psychology, environmental movement, I think areas there, you know, these days it's not uncommon, you know, outside magazine just a couple weeks ago had front page article about the new medicine, nature, right? That Is it new? Exactly. <laughs> but just that <laughs> now, right? That just yeah. now there's this emergence of yeah. physicians, psychiatrists prescribing the outdoors <laughs> to patients. So it's emerging in yeah. different ways. You're making me think of something interesting where the fact that at Naropa, we have a lot of awesome psychology programs that you can move forward in, like transpersonal psychology, somatic psychology, Jungian psychology, wilderness therapy psychology. But what's interesting is like when I take somatic or transpersonal, it's this in an office talking with them using the techniques that I learned from this psychology application. But in wilderness therapy, there's so many different routes you can take. You're learning how to do group work. You're learning how to do teen emotional behavioral work. You're learning how to do individual connecting with self addiction works. So there's a lot of different applications in which the wilderness therapy shows up and it's not just sit down in an office, let's work through the thing that we're trying to work through. Right. And I think what I would say is that there are specific tools that we might use in this field if we're doing wilderness therapy, nature-inspired therapy. And Ooh, I like that. And it's a particular lens or framework mm, yeah. that we can hold and bring into any therapy and that the tools themselves Mm -hmm. may be very overlapping with the tools that another clinician might use who's doing, you know, using a different modality. Awesome. Okay. So one of the questions I was thinking of is when I was introducing you, I said transpersonal wilderness therapy program. What is the difference between transpersonal wilderness therapy program and just wilderness therapy? How does transpersonal apply to the idea of this therapy? Well, this is one of the places this program is really unique because we are the only transpersonal wilderness therapy program that I am aware of in Mm -hmm. existence. 
you know, we're one of the very few that trains in wilderness therapy itself. That's cool. Well, in some yeah. ways, and other people might disagree with me, Okay. but in some ways, there's almost a kind of redundancy. Because if I think about mm. what transpersonal means or the transpersonal movement in the field of psychology, I think one of the things I so deeply appreciate is that it already historically was about an acknowledgement of those experiences that were beyond trans, the psychologies that were existing at the time. So those were, mm. the, were really just about the, sort of the ego myself within this encapsulated form. So the whole transpersonal movement anyway was about wait a minute we have experiences that go way beyond just this physical body yeah in the transpersonal field we're often talking you know i think a lot of what got incorporated were spiritual experiences for example mm -hmm. but i would say even more than that so on some level just to incorporate the wilderness piece yeah. already feels to me like it's taking the traditional model <laughs> of of therapy and psychology, right, beyond what how we normally see it. Yeah, wilderness but, yeah. is inherently transpersonal. Well, and that's the other piece. So, But I do think here at Naropa specifically, we do have a transpersonal orientation, a transpersonal mm. lens yeah. that we then incorporate into all of our classes. So the mm -hmm. contemplative education piece is very much interwoven in what we do in the field. And I would say in theory, we could do it without that but we don't. Yeah. And so we incorporate contemplative practices. We talk about how nature-based experiences themselves can be forms of contemplative practice and inquiry. Mm -hmm. We also do introduce the transpersonal model. So how do we work with those kinds of experiences that the transpersonal orientation has really taken in and not pathologized? And being in the outdoors for many people, depending on the context, also can be quite evocative of experiences yeah. that do not fit cleanly into our usual psychological mm -hmm. mm. frameworks, or when they are, they're often pathologized. Interesting. Yeah. In, in the wilderness, there's less control and more witnessing. And I feel like that might be happening internally as well with your psyche and your emotional states and your ego is sometimes you can't control it, but you are subjected to it. So therefore, the wilderness kind of helps us understand that everything is in conjunction with each other, but it's flowing correctly. It's just we need to be careful with the labels in which we put on it. Yeah, It's almost like a reflection of our inside is how nature is reflecting to us on the outside. Well, I think that's right. And for that <laughs> same reason, this mm -hmm. is one of the reasons I just want to say as well that being outside is not necessarily comfortable for everybody or for any of us at various times, depending on what we're working with. It's yeah. the amount of projection that can happen, mm. right? In the outside world, mm -hmm. just like you said, we're in relationship. We are being yeah. witnessed by and witnessing all that is around us that <laughs> is us. Yeah, It's no different than being in relationship with people, yeah. but there's so much opportunity, I would say, to come into contact with shadow material, Oof, to come into the yep. places that feel so dark and scary in inside, mm -hmm. and how we experience that outside. And that's not just in our own psyche, but it, I also do think about what are the histories that we've come from. And so all of mm. the 
all of the conditioning and layers of also what our relationship with the outdoors has been. So what are the places that have been scary internally Mm -hmm. for me, but also for my people, whoever they might be? Yeah. How has that come about in relationship with the natural environment? And Mm -hmm. there's this kind of very profound interactive dialogue, I think, that happens when we spend time outside. And that happens for people. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like it could be scary. I'm one of those people who are overly aware of whatever is happening around. Like I'm in a restaurant. I can feel everyone's like emotional. It's, it's weird. It's sticky. It's gooey, you know? And and when I'm outside in the wilderness, I can like feel that as well. Yeah. I was gonna, I wanted to ask you. Yeah. And so when you take the people away and you're just with the natural environment, yeah. Like Mm -hmm. what is that? What comes back to you? (laughs) I've been gardening for a couple of years now and the garden is such a beautiful place to relearn to know it's an infinite teacher is how I see it and one thing I started realizing a couple years ago is plants are like they're so loud Mm -hmm. they like won't shut up (laughs) they they talk it's not like you talk to plants plants are talking to you that's right and whether you're open to listen to them or not I don't know that's (laughs) I love that I but love the, that. You know, we. Te- I mean, one of our classes is a horticulture therapy class. You're not saying anything that isn't <laughs> true. I'm not like the weird guy over here. Not at all. Yeah, my, my orchids, they tell me a lot of things. So. I love it. <laughs> all right. So when it comes to this sort of wilderness therapy healing and process of discovering a deeper self, what type of people are looking for this type of therapy? When you're working with clients what are some of the similarities that they show up with? Is there like a continuous narrative of someone looking for healing or is it very different every time they show up or is like a little bit of groups here and there? What are people trying to heal when they approach this type of therapy? You know, I think my own experience and just in thinking about, you know, just talking to other clinicians who work in wilderness therapy, all different kinds, If we're talking, let's say, about environments where clients can really choose to come, Mm -hmm. I think it runs the the full spectrum of folks who are looking for a therapist who notice, wow, this therapist does this thing called wilderness therapy. Well, that sounds interesting. I love the outdoors. Let me check that out. Right. So often I think there's just a curiosity there. You know, I think sometimes people are really the way the modality looks can be so varied. It might mm. literally be a person, a therapist who's in private practice who is taking people outdoors during those sessions. Yeah. It might be someone who facilitates multi-day programs outside. Mm-hmm. So depending on those things, I think it's going to draw a different person. I think what I have seen and heard more than anything is that whatever it is that's drawing someone and oftentimes people that's not necessarily the thing they're drawn to but they find themselves with a therapist who does wilderness work who Mm. might say you know are you open to spending some time outside and seeing how this is so people don't always find themselves okay that's interesting yeah 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 i would say more than anything though i think what people expect when they're saying, hey, I want to come because you work outside also, and I love being outside, mm-hmm. it may not be what they get. Ah. You know, I think that there is... So it's is... like a ther- 
therapist deciding what may work best for the client but even though they may show up like hey i really like rock climbing let's go have some therapy while we're you're like eh. exactly i sit under a tree and have like a really deep conversation about what your demons are saying instead or even <laughs> let's go rock climbing but not necessarily because we're going to go have this good time rock climbing uh-huh. while we do therapy as if they're two separate things. I think that might be the part that clients don't always expect or know how it might be is the rock climbing itself, it is the therapy. So Mm. as you are moving up the rock, even before you are, how is this climb, how is this rock a metaphor Mm -hmm. for the thing that you are trying to navigate in your life? How is this moment that you're halfway up the wall and starting to get really, really scared Mm similar to the other moments or to the moment in your life right now where something is really frightening? How is the way in which you're moving through this challenging moment, how can we understand something about that in Mm -hmm. relation to how you move through challenges in your life? And is there a way to do it different this time? Can we, so that, and that even is just on the metaphoric level, Uh how we might use an activity like rock climbing in a therapeutic way, uh, which is going to be pretty different than yeah. if you and I just went out and said, let's go climbing and have a good conversation. Yeah, it's like hanging out with a therapist. You can just be doing your normal activity and, and they would just go, how does that make you feel? Why'd you do it that way? You know, they're, they just uh-huh. have like such a different way of looking at how reality is being displayed in front of them and how people show up with the decisions they make and, that's right. you know, the emotional baggage that they're carrying, the person they actually are, the person they're becoming, all these decisions in the moment of like, why? Why'd you do that? Why that? Why that? Yeah. It's very interesting. Yeah. And how is it experienced in your full body, right? In your full yeah. mind body. I think that's something we haven't mentioned I think by virtue of being outside, we often do awaken to our senses, right? Our, mm-hmm. All of our senses have an opportunity to be more stimulated. Okay. And so mm. being able to ask those questions and actually experience a level of integration and connection that is below the neck, yeah. I think is particularly valuable mm-hmm. in the a outdoors. Lot of, a lot of people I've been talking to lately about psychology and the different forms of psychology and how there's a lot of healing in the body. There's a lot of healing and movement, understanding the body. It's not all in the brain and these metaphysical constructs in which we create. Some of them are stored in the body. Like I got pain in my shoulder. Oh, well, you're holding something. You know, it's very interesting to kind of explore how the body can be a, a direction for healing. Well, and I think what we're learning more and more, although I don't, this is another one of those that I don't think it was ever not (laughs) known, is that in order for change to really happen, Mm. it can't just happen on the conceptual level. It has to happen in the full system. It has to happen in all the places. I mean, think about when you have an epiphany, right? What's an epiphany? It's not like, (laughs) epiphanies are usually so silly. They're so simple. Right, that moment that we yeah. get something, yeah, yeah. it's never like, something. I've known this the whole time, but exactly. for some reason right now it makes way more sense. And you can feel it in your gut. Yeah. It's like the moment of the epiphany is like mm. somehow the integrate, right? We feel it in our gut <laughs> and yeah. it's a conceptual knowing. So, uh, Well, maybe what a knowing and an epiphany is, a knowing is mentally knowing something. And an epiphany could be a somatic response 
and simultaneously mentally knowing something colliding together <laughs> they're just like slam and your body's like oh and your mind's just like whoa all yeah. in once and we're just like aha yeah hey yeah and then it's there very cool so i feel like you're kind of unique and special because you have this like clinical psychologist background then you have this wilderness therapy sort of engagement how do those show up in relationship to each other how has your clinical psychologist studies enhanced your wilderness therapy teachings? Well, I think the training as a clinical psychologist has given me a deeper understanding and a language. It's given me words mm. for being okay. able to talk about some of the things that happen in our psyches, in okay. our deeper beings, how that connects to the world around us and our histories. Mm -hmm. I think my background as a clinical psychologist has given me a way to really symbolize something that happens on a level that otherwise is pretty ineffable. Ooh, I love that word. Me too. <laughs> and I think that is so much of what can happen and sometimes does happen out in the wilderness. Okay. I think also my clinical psychologist background it often gives me an ability to frame things or offer a, a way of understanding something to my students that is a shared language because I am training clinicians who I want to be able to go out into the world and to speak with other mental health professionals who may not know anything about wilderness therapy and to be able to articulate yeah. Something that happened outside in a way that someone who goes, well, wait a minute, didn't you just go rock climbing or what, you just went and sat under a tree? Yeah. I think it helps me support them in finding the language, the mm. clinical language to be able to say, no, that's not just what happened. And to explain it in terminology that might be shared among okay. professionals. That's kind of exactly what I was thinking too, was it gives you a language. It, it, it allows you to verbalize some of the things that are happening within the mind. And then you also get to use the natural settings to be able to guide the healing, guide the therapy. But then you're also very well read into understanding like, oh, well, this person has, you know, multiple personalities or this person has, you know, some trauma back in the day. You, you are actually able to clinically look at the psychological issues that yeah. someone's coming into therapy for, but also using the apparatus of the wilderness as a healing modality. Right. I think the other piece it has given me is, and I notice this a lot with students, you know, all the students who come into our program are drawn to it because they do have some very strong connection mm -hmm. to the outdoor world. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think my background also allows me to help them start to see, you know, what we're doing outside is not necessarily just the things that you've done that have allowed you to feel connected, that there's actually a skill in this. Yeah. That again, it's not just, oh, you love hiking. And so let's just start taking people out hiking. Yeah. And, and I will say as a side note for many people in mm -hmm. and of itself, absolutely that is therapeutic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. But I think to be able to sometimes understand the deeper layers of things. For example, we did yeah. talk about the fear before. It 
for some of our students, it comes as a surprise to imagine that for some clients, taking them outside is not going to feel inherently healing. Mm. It's not going to feel safe. You talk about trauma, there's going to be some due to trauma, due to trauma in one's own life, due Mm -hmm. to experiences in one's own life, not Mm -hmm. even traumatic, just where someone has grown up, what the stories have been or the connection or disconnection or Mm -hmm. actually getting pulled away from natural environment, both in one's own individual life, but also the transgenerational inheritances there deeply impact what the layered meaning is for someone going outside. So I think my languaging, whether I'm talking about trauma or something else, is also very useful to be able to work with folks who have sort of an unquestionable connection Mm. to the outdoor world and who might simply assume, well, everyone else has this as well, to say, Mm -hmm. well, not necessarily. (laughs) We all have... Right. We all have our different stories. And for what it's worth, that actually deep healing probably can come through some of these environments Mm -hmm. because these were environments in which this person may have been hurt or this may have been taken away from them in their family history or whatever it might be. But that it's just more complex than simply, hey, let's just go make a campfire in the woods. Mm. So I think that's the part that I appreciate just in my training mm-hmm. that that is helpful to make it a little more nuanced. And I think it goes without saying, but I would like to say it, that I also was trained in a particular way. So the language mm-hmm. I use, the framework that I hold, the position that I might stand in and also see is really specific to how I was trained, you know, what my life has been. And so it's limited in and of itself. Yeah. So the wilderness always sort of has like a therapeutic lens, but when you go out and just take a hike, it's more of an activity with a little bit of therapy involved. But when you're actually approaching wilderness with a therapy lens, there's like a different mindset you are stepping into and relationship, you know, cause like, I guess there's a difference between activity and therapy. I think you're right. Even yeah. though they're, is therapy that very intentionally uses the activity, right? Mm -hmm. We often call it adventure therapy. Yeah. But I think you're absolutely right. And I should say there's been more and more for me critique in my mind also about just referencing the term wilderness Mm. as opposed to outdoors or nature. Okay. Because it has a loaded meaning actually in the United States. The term wilderness has meaning, it has designation. Yeah. But I think that idea of the outdoors itself, the natural world itself. It always seems also a little paradoxical to me that we're talking about this thing as if it's separate. Mm-hmm. So I think I have a, my own internal bias mm-hmm. is that there is no separation here. Yeah. And so what does it mean to simply bring into awareness and reconnection and remembering this thing? The thing in which that is needing therapy comes from the wilderness, right. essentially. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's, it's like, were you even separate? You know, our society right. has a feeling of pulling ourselves away from the thing in which we are essentially connected to. Right. So I think that's interesting. Right. When it comes to wilderness therapy, what are some things that we can do on a daily basis to help us? 
while we are living our lives and trying to heal and working with our traumas, is there is there like a daily practice of like taking a new walk or not listening to music and listening to the birds or maybe intentionally sitting under a tree? Is there like a practice that we can use? Yeah. So first of all, I'm a little bit of like an anti-technique person. So Ooh, I get with that, <laughs> which isn't that helpful because okay. I know people often really want a what <laughs> what's me, what are the three things I can do today? Tell me what to do. I <laughs> so need... I'll play along. I'll play along. <laughs> I can offer some of those. But I think in general, I also want to say right. there's something about that. It just for me in general that, again, I think sometimes separates us a little bit. But practices can be helpful. Structure can be helpful. Having some riverbanks to support the deeper movement of whatever's inside can be helpful. So mm. I just heard your podcast with Joanna Macy and I think she oh, said you did? something. Hey. That was great. And I you think helped she, set that up. <laughs> and I think she said something like something about what do you love? Mm-hmm. I feel like she asked that question. I asked her what you would ask other people because she's, cause she's right. always being interviewed. Yes. I'm like, what would you want to ask people? Right. And she said, what do you love? She's Bodhisattva. She's amazing. And for some reason that's sticking with me because I think like Mm. with any practice, there's some way that I think it needs to feel connected. It needs to feel like you talked about gardening for yourself. Yep. Right? I wouldn't prescribe gardening for everybody because some Mm -hmm. people, they don't want to do, they don't (laughs) like to garden, but some people do. Yes. So Mm -hmm. yeah, we know there are benefits to getting our hands in the dirt, to Mm -hmm. being out there, to Mm -hmm. relating and communing with those plants. Some people live in really concrete environments Mm -hmm. and they may not even have an interest in going and doing something that's going to feel like, wow, this is hard work to get out there. So little practices might be relating to plants that are inside. I lived in the Bay Area for some time and what really struck me, and I lived in Montreal as well for a number of years and I really saw this there, is I began to notice the life, the natural life, the plants that were growing between the cracks, mm-hmm. right? Or the sky that you could see in between the buildings. Mm. So I think there's a way that we can come into relationship, right? Okay. And why is that? Yeah. And why is that tree that grows between the cracks any different? Yeah, Mm -hmm. than the one that grows in the middle of a forest. You know, I think start developing a relationship with the outdoor world and the unseen world, no matter where we are. So I think that's Mm. a piece of the practice. It's almost a mindfulness practice. What happens if when I walk out my door, I just start noticing the natural elements that are around me. I just start mm-hmm. feeling what the air feels like and what the earth feels like. Concrete things also, it is really good to take your shoes off and put them in the earth, on the grass, mm-hmm. in the dirt. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm. being outside, going for walks, but I don't think it's limited to what our physical capacities are or even what our environments are, although I think some environments might make it easier but even sometimes connecting with a natural object and relating to it every day and bringing it with us and asking questions as we go out and beyond the land. Okay. I love that you voiced that, the fact that like, oh, there isn't these three steps you take because I feel a little hesitant when someone's like, this is how it works. 
Because it's like, well, aren't we all extremely individually different? Well, and what I would say, (laughs) right, if this is a practice of remembering something, right, something about Mm. connecting inner and outer landscape, like you might be this awesome Amazonian, right, like rainforest, Mm -hmm. and I might be this high (laughs) desert. Like we're not going to, yeah, right, I don't believe it's random that, people feel mm. inherent connection with different places. So Ooh. what I connect to may be radically different or what I don't yeah. connect to, I may want to become in relationship with both. You know, what calls me, what draws me, you know, okay. the, where I feel the allurement in my life to what is outside huh. is, um, it will be really different. Yeah, so even the style of landscape in which we can use wilderness therapy from, because the wilderness is anything. It could be a desert. It can be a rainforest. It can be the like the woods. It can be mountains, as long as you're outside. Or it can also be inside. And oh, yeah. And connection to, right, to that life that we bring indoors. Yeah. Absolutely. Ooh, in the internal doors of the soul landscape in which we look into. <laughs> Yeah, well, and also just the the plants, the rocks, mm. the wood, the the natural elements that we can connect to even inside. Yes. Oh, yeah. that's so good. All right. So that was such a good conversation. You made me think about wilderness therapy in a different way, and I'm really enjoying it. I'm going to like, for now on, when I take my walks and kind of just do my thing outdoors, because I'm a concrete person, I guess. I stay mm-hmm. indoors and I make loud noises, but... I do get my outdoor activities every now and again, and I'm going to have like a deeper lens in which I look through. And I'm going to notice the nature looking at me, and I'm going to mm. notice me looking at nature. So, yeah, it's I really like beautiful. That. Yeah, and listen to the music because you're a oh, music yeah. guy. So, there's a lot of music outside. Lots of music. There is. Like, sometimes I just really enjoy not listening to music. That's how much I love music because I need the space just as much as I need the like actual sound as well. Yeah. yeah. All right. So thank you so much for speaking with me. It was just such a beautiful talk. I love I love hearing like the different versions of how we can show up in therapy. There's not just one way to heal. There's multiple ways to heal. And it's all out there for us to just figure out. And I love that Naropa just has this like unique program in which we get to like teach people how to use. Yeah, we are so fortunate in that way. Oh, yes. And thank you, David. You're welcome. So I'd like to thank my guest, Mickey Fire. She is the assistant professor and serves as the chair in the Transpersonal Wilderness Therapy Program here at Naropa University. So thanks again. On behalf of the Naropa community, thank you for listening to Mindful You, the official podcast of Naropa University. Check us out at www.naropa.edu or follow us on social media for more updates.